1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, sadly, we're here talking about a
2: Nets loss to the Celtics, 121-107. How are we doing? Probably spend too much time on that, Nick, but Derek Whitehead made his Long Island debut. Maybe we could spend 20, 25 minutes on that. Yeah. Jalen Wilson, I think is popping up, popped off down there as well, but you
1: know, this game wasn't great. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but we do have some bigger topics to discuss given how the net season has kind of progressed through, you know, the first couple games of the year, but as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start with this?
2: Let's go to some listener questions. I put it out there because I'm like, this isn't going to be the best one to sort of discuss overall, but it will link into general topics and with the game as well. And we had You know, one of the great guys out there, Cypher at Sean underscore Yuga. He he wrote this, might have been in response to a poll that you put out there as well. How likely is it for the Nets to re-sign both Walker and Watford in the offseason? If Sean Marks fails to re-sign both of them, at what point should he be considered a bad GM for not being able to read the benefits of giving these guys opportunity? Uh, Let's just focus on the Walker and Watford likelihood of their being in 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 nets land long term you're a bit smarter i mean i've seen people talking about you know the the notion of bird rights um and and the no, the notion of like possibly throwing one or both of them you know a mid-level and 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 then and how that would change the ability to retain one of, the, of those sort of guys can you talk me through the likelihood of, of either of those things happening nick yeah, so the Nets won't have their bird rights, so they could only give them a,
1: a percentage raise off of the veteran minimum contract. And obviously, you know, at this point in time, Lonnie Walker will get substantially more than that. Trend Wafford will probably get a bigger deal than the veteran minimum, but I still think he has probably more to prove over the course of the year. So you pretty much nailed it, Jack. They will have the mid-level exception, but they only have one mid-level exception. Now you could split that into multiple pieces, but again, if Lonnie Walker continues to play at the level that he's playing at. He'll probably get the full mid-level exception because I think people around the league will view him as kind of a six man of the year type of six man, you know, scoring burst off the bench or whatever it is. And I think it's important to note is like the Nets won't have salary cap yet. You know, it's not like they have open cap space so they can only use these exceptions to sign players. You know, I think they may have the biannual exception depending on how, you know, the cap breaks up uh, at the end of the year. But that could potentially be something to sign Trenton Watford with. I'm not super confident that he's going to get a crazy big market unless, you know, he performs really well. I think, you know, as as great as he's played, including a game like today, you see, you know, the skill in the flash, but you also see some of, you know, the shortcomings and some of the bad decisions. So I think, you know, his thing, he's a little bit more up in the air. But if the Nets want to retain Lonnie Walker, it's probably going to be that mid level exception. And they could even sign him for the mid level exception for one more year. And then he could opt out and then he could get a bigger contract the next offseason from the Nets. You know, that's something they kind of do under the table occasionally. There's like a wink, wink, you know, we'll take care of you next year type of thing.
2: Yeah, so that would mean that they would get his 2025 bird rights if he were to sign for the mid-level in the 24 offseason. Is that Uh, true? I'm not sure.
1: I'm not. I think they would just still only have his early bird rights because I think you have to be with the team a little bit longer. I would have to double check that, but they could give him a raise off of the mid-level exception, which would be pretty substantial given where it's at now in comparison to what the veteran minimum is. I
2: think what this illustrates is how deep the talent is in the NBA right now like yeah. Dennis Jr was even okay tonight and is certainly worth a vet minimum and maybe beyond that you know he has his he's sort of like Jaron sharp guard. In this Nets team. No, and look, he had some like outlandishly good defensive players and then some you know, he led Peyton Pritchard, you know, offensive board off his own free throw miss. And he was just like, Yeah, that's my bad. It's like you just gave up a three-point play, my guy. Like, and and he's like picking the pocket of Jalen Brown, you know, a, a play or two before. So but I want to go back to the the Walker and Watford stuff, Nick. You put out a poll. A lot of people on the Lonnie Walker bandwagon in terms of who they would rather retain. Like uh, when I first saw this, a uh, part of me was like, man, man, I'm maybe I'm too high on Watford, but I expected there to be more love for him because when you look at the Nets, the current makeup of the Nets, Lonnie Walker and Cam Thomas, you know, both having both of those guys on this team is incredible because it allows you to have high level shot making, deep offensive bags, no matter who's on the floor. Cam Thomas, obviously injured. We'll get to that probably in a little bit too, but it's just, I think. Trenton Watford in your poll at least is getting someone underrated because I think he provides so much. And yes, you alluded to maybe some of his misgivings and some of the deficiencies in his game. But I think if you have a team and you have Trenton Watford as your sixth to eighth guy off the bench and a guy that can regularly contribute in in a, in a multitude of ways, whether it's defensively or offensively, I wouldn't hate that. And if you're talking about you know the price that could be given, you know, the Nets could like retain that guy on the cheap you know, biannual, whatever it might be. I think that Trent Watford deserves a bit more love, at least in your poll. And maybe, you know, there are people in your replies that are going off about it as well. But I like Watford. I like him a lot. And I love Lonnie. Like, these two guys were the two best players for the Nets tonight.
1: Yeah, I think the the... You know, answer is kind of based off of who's kind of further along, and I think Lonnie Walker, you can see, has
2: had some NBA development, and he's only a year older. Nick, Lonnie yeah. Walker is only twenty-four. Lonnie and Trenton Watford, happy birthday for the other day. Another November baby, like your little fellow, Nico and myself. Those, those those guys in November, there's something about them, Nick. There's just something about them. But in saying that, you and know, how Lonnie many more seasons Jack too. has
1: Lonnie Walker played than Trenton Watford? Like a couple, you know, and that, yeah, and that matters. I think in terms of development and understanding of like where they're at and how successful they can be I I will say in the replies there was a lot more trend in Watford you know people saying similar things to you is you know oh the net should you know retain Watford just because of you know the position and the versatility he can kind of provide it's it's definitely an interesting discussion and one we'll continue to have over the next 70 games but I think Lonnie is just a better player and at times it's just you you have to be simple and just pick the better player
2: no that's it at the end of the day and Lonnie Walker showcased again tonight the depth of his offensive bag and offensive arsenal is just right up there nick and the stat that yes network put out there i took a photo of it like and i'm not normally one to like take a photo of the tv or whatever while i'm watching but i was like that's crazy i gotta remember that so i can bring it to the buzz and i did put it on my timeline too he is leading the league in points per game in fewer than 25 minutes he's only averaging before tonight's game 22.6 minutes He scored 16.3 points in that time. Now, as a comparison point, Emmanuel quickly 15 points in 24 minutes. You know, an extra nearly two minutes. Kyle Anthony, under 15 points, just under 14.8, in nearly 25 minutes, 24.7. Malik Monk, 23 minutes, so he's probably the closest. But he's averaging a point and a half less than Lonnie Walker. And then Nas Reed as well, 23 and a half minutes, 14.7. Lonnie Walker has been insane, Nick. And if he's not leading the sixth man of the year right now, then I don't know who is. Yeah. I mean, he's right up there. He's been awesome. And I think he's a
1: guy that we were excited about it from the summertime and we talked about in the season preview as being that surprise player and he's really taken a jump. And I thought last year with the Lakers, you know, he showcased some good things and then they made the trade at the deadline. And all of a sudden he kind of got pushed to the bench, didn't get that same type of rotation minutes, had those big moments in the postseason for them. You can kind of see it. And I think also it helps his personality is very likable and he just plays with a level of energy and good vibes. You know, he's just a guy that you like rooting for as well. So happy to see, you know, him work out. And I think even, you know, maybe he won't maintain the efficiency, but I think a lot of the stuff he can continue to excel at throughout the rest of the year. The three-point shooting, we kind of talked about in the offseason as being a pivot point for him, for being kind of the difference of him being a really good NBA role player to just being a role player that's scraping for minutes. And, you know, if he can combine his ability to get downhill and elevate at the rim with his three-point shooting, he just becomes that much better. And also he has an okay mid-range game too.
2: Yeah, he's literally very close to being the Nets' second best, third three level scorer, like him and I Cam Thomas. Would say I that think, he is. I would. I would say, like, look, Mikael Bridges is how he struggles, and we can maybe have a discussion about that because we did get a question. Well, in I would say Lonnie him. is better at the rim. He's he's like insane at the rim. Like yeah. he's there was one play, and again, the Nets were down by a bit, ninety two one hundred eleven. For those that are playing along at home, go to the tape where he there's like a behind the back sort of handle and he sort of loses it a little bit loses a little bit of control and then weaves through the celtics defenders and has like a just a crazy at room finish after despite nearly losing the handle through cornet i think it was and like he was bullying cornet like he was like barbecue chicken for him you know like an and one floater over him and you know he's three-point shooting like at the start i think early in the game when you know as soon as he sort of came in like he just pulls up for three like you know when there's like immediately as he's bringing up the ball. It's sort of like what you'd see from Damian Lillard. Now, I'm not making a direct comparison between those guys, but he's shown and he's, you know, communicated to the Nets media as well about the fact that like he works hard, like he is a relentless worker, and we heard that in the preseason too and that's what sort of endeared him to us as well and, we, and you alluded to and he showed that in that Miami Heat final preseason game how hot he can get from the three-point line and how replicable I think that the consistency of his offensive production can be because that three ball looked hot as hell in Miami and it's looked hot as hell since. And he's, as you alluded to his ability to get to the rim just opens up the floor for him in so many different ways. And the fact that Nets are playing five out, you know, with in the absence of Nick Claxton and and Ben Simmons tonight too, just shows you, you know, he's just making all of it work for him. He's been, Maybe the Nets' best player in a lot of regards this season so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, tonight he should have had more minutes and more shots.
2: You know, I think it was pretty. Do you think it was an injury thing, Nick, just because a lot of people were talking about that? Yeah, he did. He's had
1: knee soreness for uh, seems like a week or something now. So maybe they are trying to keep his minutes down, but if that's. You know, not the case. I think his ball handling would have been really helpful because I think we saw the issue with the starting lineup was it was essentially Spencer could dribble and no one else could. And that's not taking a shot. It's just a fact. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neill, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, they're all... They're a secondary ball handlers in some situations. But again, it's a Boston team that has a ton of good defenders that can pressure you. And they pressured, you know, in the half court tonight, you know, almost full court at different times. And that just made... That's really stagnant offensively and that's why the second unit had more success at times because you were getting Lonnie Walker and Trendon Watford out there and even Dennis Smith Jr. not because he's good offensively but just because he can handle the basketball and they could do things and move it where the starting lineup was just Spencer trying to ISO KP and then passing the ball and everyone just kind of passing it back to him
2: yeah and Watford has like a, a nice handle too as you were sort of alluding to so like him just the extra ball handling I think it's a skill that I think you and should I should have changed to
1: start the third and quarter, and they should have adjusted the lineup. I think
0: we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Yeah, and look, we got this question from Steve eighty at Steve w. Jack, I just want to Twitter touch on well. one more thing on Cypher's question. Um I will say about
1: the point of you know the Nets not giving them long-term deals. It's also a two way street. You're an NBA player. You want to sign for a one year veteran minimum because if you pop off now you can get a big payday. So you have to understand the reason that the Nets also sign these guys for veteran minimums is because they provide an opportunity for these guys to kind of cash out the following year. And also it's you're signing multiple veteran minimum guys and hoping one of them hits, you know, the likelihood of two or four guys hitting or something like that. That's pretty good. Like you'd be really happy if you could do that every single off season. And the Nets, we saw them not be able to do that when they had Katie and Kyrie a couple of years. So being able yeah. to hit on one. And if it's potentially the case of Lonnie Walker being as good as he could be, maybe throughout the rest of the season, you have to be really happy with that. And that's a good job from a GM to find a player of his caliber, you know, for a veteran minimum deal. And hopefully he's able to retain him. If he doesn't, if he's not able to retain any of the guys, that's when I think you get upset.
2: Yeah. Look, One of those two, I'd be more than happy with. Obviously, I think Lonnie being the better basketball, I think is, you know, just, you just want to have the guy that's just better on your roster. That you want to, it's simple as that, you know, high level of
1: roster building too.
2: Yeah, for sure. So look, We'll see how that does pan out. And obviously, you know, when it comes to the ramifications of the offseason, there's Nick Claxton to to think about too and, and how that pertains and the other moves that could be happening. Does DFS or Royce get moved? So, a lot of moving parts for the Brooklyn Nets. But sticking on Watford and, and Lonnie as well, Nick at Steve W80 said, uh, asked us this should Watford start over O'Neill and should Lonnie start until Thomas is back? Now, I think addressing that second question first. A part of me is leaning towards wanting Lonnie to start because of his offensive creation for himself and ability to open up the floor. And he's good at making like the right passes when the defense collapses on him in a similar like Spencer does that very well also, but just having a second guy that can do that, I think would provide a a, a big benefit. The Watford over O'Neill, I'm not as strong on. Like I think that Watford should maybe get more minutes, but I just think the balance is a bit better defensively with, with an O'Neill or whether it's, DFS, whoever else it might be, so I, I'm not against it, but I, I just think that it's about the, the right, you know, the sort of we've seen crazy numbers, you know, when Lonnie Walker and and Trenton Watford on the floor together, they have like a plus forty net rating. Like I like having just those guys together, you know, in in a lot of different instances and staggering the minutes of it you know, with Cam Thomas being out and best player, it sort of showed tonight that, you know, if you had a Cam Thomas tonight, maybe the, the game goes a little bit uh, differently, not necessarily a win, but probably a little bit closer. But I think, yeah, I, I, I would consider starting Lonnie Walker, but you also need to consider that you don't want to burden him to a point where it takes away from his efficiency. You know, he is such a bursty, quick player, high-level sort of player. Do you, if you give him 32 minutes plus... Is that going to take away from his efficiency and effectiveness? Maybe, I don't know. But he should be playing 28 minutes minimum if he is healthy.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, uh, touching on Watford first, I think he's better off coming off the bench. You know, I think it also helps that he can go against bench players. You know, that's something that kind of plays in the equation too, is he's getting ISO against lesser defenders. You know, it's going to be hard. Obviously, he's had success against some starting level players, but when you're getting to Cook, you know, lesser defenders out there. I think it's a little bit easier, especially for what the Nets are asking him to do in certain situations. And Lonnie Walker, on the other hand, I think should start, especially with Cam Thomas being out. We talked about it, needing another ball handler, needing more scoring pop. I think he plays with enough effort defensively where you can kind of feel okay with him being out there. And I think he's, he played 28 minutes against the Clippers, you know, 29 minutes in the preseason. Oh no, actually 29 minutes against the Hornets as well. So he did play in game one either, Nick yeah he didn't play in game one so like I think he can probably play close to 30 minutes what's you know two more minutes in those situations I don't think it's a big deal
2: and but what, what did what about Jacques Vaughn saying after again no think that's I know a yeah talk.
1: but I think it's it, he should get more touches they need the pop they need the offensive pop and that allows some of the other guys to just kind of continue to focus on defense and use their more of their effort and energy especially you know and we've seen guys struggle when they're asked to do more Mikel Bridges you know he's kind of lost some of that honeymoon of you know post trade deadline last year and we're kind of seeing him be more of uh, a complimentary player at times and needed needing that creation and obviously we talked about Lonnie necessarily a playmaker for others but he's a guy that has a level of gravity and could create for himself
2: yeah at doug seltzer five put this comment and he said he can't let bridges off the hook he's horrible i think i, I wouldn't say horrible you know but i think Tonight one thing where, as i was it, it was a bad game and he hasn't had I think there's been a discourse about Mikael Bridges that has like been eerily reminiscent of the way Nets, Twitter Nets fans discuss like Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas. It's just like there isn't room for nuance about like how he's been playing. Like, yeah, he's had maybe a couple of bad games who are there, but he's been efficient. He's been contributing. He's had some like that offensive rebound, uh, offensive rebound was a, a big play for him. I think... The, what I was thinking and and the thoughts that popped in my head watching Mikhail tonight and just thinking about like discussions we had you know in the preseason preseason chat about him is he going to make the shade shade guilds Alexander leap those sort of things I'm like okay that's probably not going to happen because for me he seems more of a reactive player than proactive player and what I mean by that is he isn't as assertive and just like bullying his way and just using his skill and talent to go this is my spot i'm going to get to the rim i'm going to get to my mid-range shot no matter what like a kd can do like a cam thomas can do like a lonnie Walker can do it in, in in some ways like the best offensive players can do he doesn't have that that skill or will to sort of impose himself offensively in that regard and that's no slot in him he is a still a top 25 30 player in the nba but He's sort of capped out at being at reaching higher levels because he doesn't have the depth of offensive skill. You know, the handle is obviously one thing that does stick out, and the just general control and poise and you know just a high level offensive skill. He's a very very good offensive player. He's not an elite offensive player.
1: Yeah, he can't force his way to his spots. You know, like you said, he doesn't. He might have the will, but he doesn't necessarily have the ability to the do way. it. Yeah, you know, it's just, it just not happening right now. He can't handle the basketball. He doesn't, I think there is another level to him moving off ball. And I think some of that's on him and some of that's on the nets for unlocking that. You know, I've heard people talk about him kind of, you know, being more similar to like Rip Hamilton and you know, having more opportunities off ball and especially like shooting threes. I think there's probably a level of fatigue right now and frustration for him. And that's kind of added, you know, the last two games have not been good in terms of the offensive production, you know, against the Clippers, at least, I think he had seven assists, but tonight, you know, just not producing well, looked uncomfortable. And you never really felt confident with the ball in his hands when he was trying to create. And last year, it was kind of more of like we saw the flash of him getting better at that. And we are like, okay, give him a full offseason and maybe he can. But it doesn't really feel like he's improved a lot in that area. Not to say he didn't work at all during the offseason. Obviously, he did. But you also wonder how much you know spending time with FIBA and going back to being a complementary piece impacted kind of his mindset and his ability to work on being a creator and obviously having cam thomas take that step and ben simmons it's like all right well actually that's okay with this team but now those guys aren't here we need you to be better
2: yeah i think i was legitimately going to bring up the the sort of comments and, and maybe we can talk about that i don't think it requires extensive discussion i think some people are looking too much into that and sort of the FIBA curse anthony edwards is one of the best players in the nba right now and he played some pretty extensive time at FIBA. i don't think that that's you know, discussion, maybe he's burdened because he's played 400 freaking straight games or, or whatever, and, and that's a thing for him. Maybe he could have a game, maybe the Nets could be like, hey, rest a bit, mate. Like, take this game off against Washington or, or whatever it might be. not he won't do it, but I at least think...
1: cut his minutes.
2: Yeah, and, and I think what I, th- we saw the idealized version of it against the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, 76 combined points between Cam Thomas and Mikhail Bridges. Those two guys worked pretty bloody well against one of the you know, like true contenders in the NBA and they like cooked offensively and did very well defensively also. So it's not to say that Mikhail has, you know, I think we had lofty expectations of him and maybe they were too high and maybe he, he needs a bit more time. You know, we're in game, what, eight or nine. So maybe let's wait another 10 or 20 games and maybe we see, ah, there's that Mikhail that we saw for extended stretches to to end the season last year. But as it stands right now, it's not necessarily like he's a bum he's a scrub no like let's just like try and remain a semblance and it's weird for me to the the person who is ct obsessed to like remain like level-headed and not get irrational about certain players or whatever but i think that there needs to be a a bit of level-headedness when it comes to discussing and analyzing mikhail bridges he's still a wonderful player
1: Yeah, I think it's also, like you said, Jack, it's a small sample size. It's not like we're talking about, you know, the entire season and we're, you know, at the 41 game point and, you know, Mikel's really struggled. I think there's opportunities for him to kind of bounce back. And I think he ultimately, you know, is probably better in the complementary role as, you know, like a second or third guy. And we talked about in the summer, we talked about in the preview is like, was last year real? Can he take those strides forward? And what really is he? And it was always important for the Nets to figure that out. You know, I think going to the season, it was kind of a lot of like, what pieces do we have? And how can we use those pieces to build a championship team? We knew knew this year was not going to be contending. Maybe next year, maybe the year after that, we can kind of set ourselves in a position to do that. And But we need to know what we have and how we can build around these guys and put them in the best position to succeed.
2: Yeah, and it's also now defense is realizing oh uh, this is what he did last year this is yep. where his spots are let's keep him away from that this is where he's weak you know in terms of his handle in terms of attacking the the weaknesses in his game and that's what's happening and good players find their ways through that you know this is the, the adversity is gonna be good for Mikael because it seems to me that it's it's, it's he's had a very you know, rosy and optimistic and positive sort of you know outlook from from pundits and, and fans alike working through some difficulty is going to do him and the that's the world of good so look i'm i'm still confident michael being a, a a very productive player and finding a way back you know against the washington wizards i wouldn't be surprised if he puts up a 30 pace on, on pretty high efficiency and some very high level defense from the likes of jordan Poole and karl kuzma but you know at the end of the day you know he played he played poorly tonight he's had you know, maybe a below average, you know, starts the year, the whole fever thing, blah, 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 blah. Let's just focus on you know, try not to get caught into too many narratives or caught down rabbit holes that, you know, we probably can't get out of. And again, I understand it's rich coming from a person like me to not talk about narratives and not get caught into certain feedback loops or whatever, but that's just how I feel about it when it comes to Mikhail.
1: Yeah, I, and I also think, you know, we just want to see it all play out and you can't really make general assumptions about the entire season you know obviously ben looked really good in the first couple games and then he kind of tapered off a little bit and maybe some of that's injury we'll see what happens it kind of plays out with him you know before we have a full grade on the entire year we can't base it off of a couple games or moments but here we are dealing with multiple injuries to start the season (laughs) yeah
2: It's the net's a curse, mate. The nets are absolutely f u c k i n g curse when it comes to the bloody injuries. You know, it doesn't matter if that we have superstars or not. But in terms of that, should we have a discussion about Nick Klaxon, Cam Thomas, Ben Simmons, and the injuries pertaining to three of our five best players, three of our starters? Who do you want to dive into first?
1: I guess let's start positive. It seems based off of some of the videos posted by the media, Klax was warming up before the game and he looked pretty spry. You know, Vaughn had mentioned previously too that uh, Klax wanted to get to a level where he felt confident and comfortable playing, you know, back to how he was rather than coming back at 85%. So, you know, potentially we maybe could see him on Sunday and there was a lot of worry that, you know, Klax could be out for a month. So it'd be really positive he's back in the next week or two.
2: Yeah, the, the like three of the beat reporters, you know Brian Lewis, Lucas Kaplan, Eric Slater, all posted different sort of things. You know Brian Lewis was saying looking spry and shoot around, you know moving laterally, live defense cutting. You know Lucas Kaplan was sort of talking about his fake DHOs, and Eric Slater posted some video of it. And look. I remember when I've been to Nets games, and I just I really like watching Nick Claxton sort of work out and like just his general fluidity for a guy of that's like six eleven, and he's pretty close. Like if it's not that Wizards game, it'll be probably the Magic game. Like I I think that it's it's nigh. Like it was probable for Cam Johnson today, and we saw him come back, and he'll be better for the run. But Nick Claxton's going to be back soon, and the Nets need that because I, I posted earlier in the week about the Nets defense being twenty fifth. I think they might be. Maybe worse after tonight, yeah. but you have Nick Claxton in your team. Nick Claxton is the Nets' best defender, and I think is a walking top half level. When you, it's sort of like Rudy Bear, you got a top ten defense with him by yourself, or Marcus Smart, or whatever. You have Nick Claxton in your team. The Nets are going to be a top fifteen defense when he is back, and they've been switching a lot. And the second chance points that they gave up tonight were absolutely pitiful. You know, the the rebounding certainly wasn't there, and the switching wasn't really working because they just didn't have. You know, enough strength and girth, and and like just the rim protection is just completely absent when you have to bet one of the best rim protectors in the NBA waiting in the wings and a guy that just provides so much tangible energy, talent, defensively and offensively. Uh, Clack City's coming back, baby, and he can't go back sooner. Uh, Hopefully, he's back sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. And also, it's great that he'll be back and Ben won't be there, most likely. You know, Ben will probably come back a few games later. And now that kind of allows him to kind of get his best foot forward and, gain some rhythm before he kind of gets back in some of
2: that cluttered non-space you know playing yeah and i mean did you have any other thoughts around uh nick claxton before? i mean i'm just happy excited yeah, we...
1: to watch claxton play that's a, just a big thing he's probably one of the most enjoyable players to watch on the nets you know other than the superstars we last you know the last couple of years like clax is just awesome like he just brings energy on both ends of the floor and he just has a knack for making like momentum plays in the nets. I feel like at times could really use that. And he could really help just kind of continue to build the style and mold that they're trying to plan right now. He just checks a ton of boxes for what they need. And he, you don't lose like the defensive versatility as you talked about, because he's also so good at rim protecting, but he can get out in the perimeter. So he just gives Vaughn another awesome tool that can do so many things on defense and still also provide a roller because it feels like the nets haven't really had anyone rolling to the rim other than dayron sharp and that's kind of like a mess at times given he doesn't have a really great idea for a feel in spacing himself from the ball handle and also we've talked about his hands being below average
2: and he's not the athlete that nick claxon is by yeah, any stretch of yeah. The and he needs nick to Cl-
1: almost get into a post move to score in the paint
2: he does he does and look the day when sharps session could happen maybe another time but yeah i think i just can't wait for the moment nick claxon gets a block gets a near tech, gets on the other end and gets like dunks on, or gets a dunk in transition. Like that, those plays are they give They give me life in, in the yep. biggest of ways. I can't wait to to see him back, but
1: should we get to Ben Simmons, Nick? Yeah, let's do it. You know, I wasn't hoping to have a discussion like this early in the season.
2: Yeah, the Bears Report is back, brought to you by Poor Injury Management from the Nets slash Ben Simmons himself. Now, this one was doing the rounds a little bit. You shared it to me, or else I wouldn't have known about it. And I certainly was scratching my head in regards to this Jacques Vaughn comment when it came to Ben Simmons missing uh, his second game with hip soreness. He said this, my fellow Jacques, we're just not in the place where all parties around feel comfortable with him playing at the levels that he's been playing at. Will continue to be a day-to-day with his thing. Uh, what does that mean, Nick?
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like that there's some disagreement on his health. You know, I don't know if that's coming from his agency, his team, saying, like, you know, Ben doesn't want to go out there unless he's a hundred percent confident in his body. So maybe there's, you know, somewhat of a level of fear from Ben that he doesn't want to go out there and re-injure himself or make it worse given.
2: The his... way he injured himself, Nick, as well, is something that is like completely Look, I think we've both been relatively kind when it comes to Ben Simmons and the coverage that we've given him on this podcast. But the way that he injured himself was being passive. <laughs> like True. he was like taking one of those dinky little floater things rather than driving with force to the rim and having that level of just pushing through the the, the, the discomfort for that little second. It's like, you, you know, we've played, everyone's played a similar of amateur sport. And if you're going out there, thinking about if you're going to get injured you're going to get injured in, in one way or another and he got injured in the stupidest way possible and his body isn't you know his body's just like hey if you had have driven that maybe i wouldn't like i wouldn't have messed you up you know in terms of the hip joint or whatever's going on there that's the frustrating thing because he's shown so many other positive things in terms of you know his passing and his defense and all those different things the fact now is just like I don't know how to like analyze this guy. Like we keep having that question and the question marks, the question marks, the question marks, what are we going to analyze? Like, what is it going to be? We've got a six game sample size of Ben Simmons. That looks fine in terms of what he is, but as an offensive player, it looks pretty putrid. But in terms of individual offensive player, not well, a team offensive player, I think also
1: he's... it's like he looks so much different against specific teams and matchups. You know, if you look at the player he was against the Hornets versus the player he was against the Bucks, it's night and day. You know, the confidence is just completely different, and also that ability to get downhill and the want to get back downhill and the want to attack players is just not the same. It's like he's confident against lesser NBA players rather than being confident against everybody, and we know how important confidence is in the nba in terms of being a quote-unquote star player and if that is an issue it can definitely hinder you from getting to your maximum ability and it feels like that's kind of just the case with ben simmons right now and obviously again another guy that has the entire year to to play at a higher level and prove us wrong but he looks more athletic and he's definitely having more of a positive impact on the team but he's still not getting, getting anywhere close to what we saw in philadelphia
2: yeah, he's a conditional NBA player in terms of like he can affect different conditions of the game in the right circumstances yep. when he wants to or when the conditions are right, like the the suns. On when the, he has the, a situational
1: a full... advantage
2: yeah and that's not what the best players do the best players contribute no matter what the opponent is and that's a discussion for another day but you know we had a question in regards to ben simmons that i don't really want to discuss but at mike underscore nyy said if ben simmons had trended watford's mentality on offense how many points would he average 25 <laughs> like like we're gonna uh, but yeah but we've, we don't have a heap of time to discuss more ben simmons stuff nick do you have any final thoughts before we get to to kill a cam which is a uh, at least somewhat of a positive update around him.
1: No, we just see how it plays out with Ben. You know, obviously there was some hype and positivity to start the year. Hopefully he can bounce back and excel to another level. And obviously that plays a pretty big factor in the team because they do need his skill set, but they need him to be better in other areas that he's not right now. They need the ball handling, they need the burst, they need the paint penetration, but they also need that final layer of attacking the rim and rolling to the rim that he's just not doing. And again, he, ha- he can shoot layups or he can get to the free throw line. One of those two things, like the Nets need that to add the full element to their offense. That's been really good to start the year, but it just goes to show you if they had a complete Ben, it would be even better.
2: Yeah. Like Ben Simmons doing certain things is great for my meme game. Cause I've got so many like Drake Spongebob memes, whenever Ben Simmons does the right thing. So hopefully he can do those things where he drives the basket, etc., etc. But at Two things we're going to end with, Nick. You know, a question from Randy P, uh, but obviously a Cam Thomas update. Uh, and this was Jacques Fawn. He said his spirits are pretty good. He's a hooper and he wants to be here playing. God, I love Cam Thomas. Uh, CT obsessed. That's uh, that's me. We actually left him in Brooklyn so that the swelling could go down. He'll get treatment and we'll reassess him in two weeks. Uh, it seems to me that this isn't a uh, too deep of a, uh, an ankle sprain, which is positive, you know, unlike, you know, Nick Claxton's one. But yeah, you can just tell that Cam Thomas would hoop out there with one leg if he could.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to make sure that he's healthy because the way he elevates on jumpers is so huge. And also we know his footwork and some of his Euro step stuff and the way he kind of moves very shifty now with the ball handling, getting downhill, you want him to be back 100% because he's such a huge factor to your team. You know, he's been the best net this season and probably predicts to be the best net over the course of the rest of the season. If he's healthy, just given what he can do. And he just provides so much and can do so many different things. And I think in that Clippers game, we're going to get a taste of a different game from Cam, not one that we've never seen, but just different for this season. That I think he was probably going to ISO cook a little bit more, get into the mid range. There was definitely going to be opportunities for him to really excel in that game. And it stinks to see him go down with just a bad luck injury. You know, I just can't, it just stinks when guys step on other dudes feet and just weird situations like that. And the way I'm just happy. It's only an ankle sprain. Cause I was a little worried. It might've been a foot fracture, just how it was such a weird plant. But, you know, he's a young guy. Maybe he'll bounce back quicker.
2: Yeah, I've already put a hex on PJ Tucker. Don't <laughs> worry about that. He will pay for his crimes. He will pay, uh, pay, pay dearly. But yeah, we could take about a Thomas times for days and days. I've already done that apparently. Uh, but Randy P, Nick, to finish off the episode, a little Spencer Dimony chat. Is Dimony primed for a trade with a recently signed player from the offseason? He seems disinterested and in not himself to start. Now, I thought he had a pretty good game, especially the first half. I thought he looked pretty positive. There's a lot of people who go to Barclay Center and have been talking about Spencer Dimwitty, and he's a you know the the armchair psychologist, if you will. And look, some of that has value, but what do you, I guess? Give me some some Spencer Dimwitty thoughts uh, around him.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's also a possibility something's going on in his personal life. He is a human, so he could just not be dealing with something. I will say he's been strangely passive when it comes to driving the basketball not to say that he's the craziest driver and average is like 20 or something a game but last year we saw him drive way more you know we got into a couple of situations tonight but definitely hasn't been looking for initiating contact as much this year so maybe there is something to it potentially being on the way out in a deal or whatever it might be but or maybe it's just kind of him understanding his role with this team and knowing that he's going to be a free agent and wants to go out there healthy there's a lot of different elements that can play into it or also it's him just kind of getting a feel and feeling like he needs to be passive because he's not one of the key cogs on the team because he had an interesting comment. I think it was uh, Lucas Kaplan posted it about how most teams have, you know, like a one, two, and a two and a half. And then they also will like, you know, use other guys, but they're not necessarily a key part. And this Nets team is a little different that they have multiple parts, but it just shows you that he's been thinking a lot about roles and usage and different things like that.
2: Yeah, it's weird. Like Spencer did in the past is a guy that like, talks a lot and on the court argues a lot with the refs he's been quiet sometimes and he's been quiet and that's not like him and sometimes like it's sort of like the middle ground like last season we always said you know oh, he needs to just shut up a little bit and focus on his game but that level of spencer like he's still a very positive contributor a very very smart nba player as well like he's just uh, i i think that whether he's on the nets whether he's not on the nets whether he gets traded, whether he doesn't, he's going to be a regular contributor to NBA basketball for a very, very long time. Hopefully it is on the nets and he can be a a regular contributor going forward, but yeah, we'll wait and see how it does pan out. He hasn't had the best start to the year, but he doesn't have the worst start either. Maybe there's stuff going on. Maybe there's a good plus minus, which is funny. Not to know. All the the lineups where I do research and like three man lines, four man lines, five man lineups, Spencer's in like 98% of them. So he's always a positive impact. He's always a really good teammate, uh, a good leader. So we'll see what pans out with Spencer doing in the rest of the Nets. Hopefully we can bounce back the Nets team overall, Nick. Uh, going forward, we get that dub against the Washington Wizards.
1: Yeah, and also just one quick note on the trended of Watford uh, free agency stuff. Uh, Jasper J-Rod posted underneath one of my tweets and said that Trenton Watford is a restricted free agent, and I checked that during uh, our podcast, and he is a restricted non-Bird free agent, which is a little bit different than most situations, but it does obviously give the Nets a better ability about retaining him, and we'll discuss more details on that in a future episode, but Jack, it was fun talking Nets with you, Um, we mentioned the game, you know, the Celtics are just a lot more talented, the Nets just couldn't match defensively, weren't good enough in this one, it happens when you face better teams, They at least had a shot for majority of it. But as always, big thanks for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat.